0: What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you? A.W. Tozer said those words in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, a long time ago. Maybe you've heard those words before. I've even said them before here. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you? So what comes into your mind today? One of the main things that comes up for many of us is that God is our Father, God is referred to as our Father throughout the Bible. Jesus, the primary way he addressed God was as his Father. Jesus taught us to pray our Father. But the question is, what kind of a Father is God? Maybe more importantly, what, what kind of relationship do we have, can we have with our Heavenly Father. You know, one of the biggest developments in psychology in the past hundred years has been in the study of attachment. It's how human beings connect with one another, and it really refers to all relationships, but most specifically to our relationships with our caregivers. And Richard Beck and Angie McDonald have applied what we've learned about attachment to spirituality, to our relationship with God, and they developed what they call an attachment to God inventory. And what's interesting about this is it reveals patterns of thinking about and relating to God in ways that are healthy or unhealthy, biblical or not biblical. You know, some of us struggle with relating to God in what they say in an anxious way. That's our attachment pattern with God. We, we worry about our relationship with God. We question whether God loves us, especially when we suffer, when we fail, when we make mistakes. We wonder, how does God feel towards us? Others of us, we struggle with relating to God in an avoidant way, not anxious, but avoidant. We believe in God, and maybe we sing to God on a Sunday, but you keep God at a distance. Prayers are often matter-of-fact and not personal, rarely emotional. Experience with God, for folks who relate to God this way, it's much more intellectual than experiential. And then there's a third way, according to Beck and McDonald, that we can relate to God, and it's, it's the way of security. And this is where we're secure in God's love, despite what's going on, even when we sin, even when we suffer, we know God loves us and we bring our hearts to God. We want to be close to him and experience his love in an ongoing relationship. Now, part of why I think this is so helpful to think about is because all of us struggle, every one of us, to relate to God in a completely secure way. And I can say that because we all live in a broken world. And We've all had broken fathers. And we can't help but think about God through the lens of our experience. And for all of us, none of our experience is perfect. And regardless of your background and personality, all of us struggle to trust God. Ever since Genesis 3, something is broken inside of us and we doubt God's goodness. We do. So for all of us, as we try to grow in our relationship with God, how can we approach Him, how can we relate to God in a more secure or healthy way? Forget healthy, just true. I mean, what is true about your relationship with God, and how do you live out of that place? There may not be a more important question. And that's what we're going to dive into today. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8 Verse 12, Romans 8, verse 12. You know, Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to Christians. And it's the longest letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, and it is packed with theology. No other letter in our New Testament lays out systematically the the foundations and the underpinnings of the gospel, And as Paul builds this argument, he gets to chapter 8, verse 1, and then he says this, and it's such an emphatic statement. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But but Paul doesn't end the letter there. He goes on, and he talks about the implications and the applications of the gospel in the lives of believers in a broken world, which we all live in. And as he does this, he, he keeps moving, and, and he gets to verse 12, and that's where we're going to start today. And, and look with me at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, anytime we see... Therefore, in Scripture, especially the New Testament, these letters, which are usually an argument, we always want to ask, what's it there for? And in this case, Paul has just explained how within the the life of a believer, there's a war within us. And Patrick helped us explore this last week and understand how there's a, a sinful nature, there's a flesh component that we all deal with, and yet we have the Spirit dwelling within us. And the Spirit gives us victory, the the Spirit gives us life. And so we, we, we talked about that and what that looks like to lean into that and to live in light of that. And then Paul, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, and it's not to live according to the flesh. And he says this, for if you live according to it, you will die. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, if we live according to the flesh, we will die? We know that this can't mean spiritual death, separation from God, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does he mean here? Well, I think what he means is what one commentator described as the disintegration of life and relationships, that there's a sense which we can live and we can be experiencing death and, and Paul is, is saying, if you live according to the flesh, that way of living, it's like death. Contrast, but, he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, just as death can't mean eternal death, separation from God, life here can't mean eternal life. Paul is not saying, you know what, if you're really good, and you put to death the sinful nature, you're gonna have eternal life. Because again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean that if we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we will live? Well, I think live here has to be seen through the lens of John 10.10, that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. You see, we can live and not live fully. And it seems to me that that's what's at stake here. Paul is saying, if you don't live by the Spirit, you are impairing and severely stunting your life, your experience with God. And then he, he goes on and, and he says this. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, what what does this mean? Well, Paul, he he uses different phrases in the letters that he writes. Sometimes he says, walk in the Spirit, sometimes led by the Spirit. But we know when we look at, at these places that those phrases refer to the same continual habitual experience. It's progressive sanctification. It's that as you lean into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads you as you are directed by him. And that is how we put to death the sinful nature. And this is an ongoing thing. In the verse before, he uses the present tense when he says, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. He's stressing this continual putting to death as we rely on the spirit. But as we do that, we can actually experience change. We can put to death the misdeeds of the body. How amazing is that, by the way, that we can actually change? I mean, we we can't on our own, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, an addict can experience recovery. In the power of the Holy Spirit, somebody who is immature and lukewarm in their faith, they can become passionate about God. How amazing is that today? What a great encouragement for all of us. But then Paul, he goes on and And he really gets to the point that we're driving at today. It's the central theme of this passage. He says this, The spirit that you received, it does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And we're going to continue and see the rest of the verse in just a moment. But for some people, the spiritual life is all about trying to to live rightly so that God does not punish us. There's a hyper-focus on doing certain things and not doing certain things. And when we live that way, that approach to God, it has a spirit of slavery. And the fruit of it is fear. Some of you know what this is like. There's this constant fear of offending God when we live this way. Because whatever you're doing, it's never good enough. And if it is, what if you can't keep it up? What if you can't sustain it? I've always been better at playing the drum set than the individual snare drum. Concert performances, etc. But being in band much of my middle and high school years, I had my fair share of performances and auditions on snare drum. And I remember one occasion where I was working on a particular piece to audition before judges for state for our school. And this was a really difficult piece. And I was working on it, trying to learn it. I didn't put in enough time. And I and I went into the room to audition for these judges. So we drove in this bus, we get there, and I walked in and I'll never forget that when I went into this room, I didn't see any judges. What I saw was a tall black curtain from the floor to the ceiling. And supposedly, behind the curtain, there were three judges, but I never saw them. I never talked to them before or after. The expectation was, you go in, you bring your music, you set it down, and you play, and then you leave. And they're furiously riding on the other side of that curtain. And I'll never forget, because I was already nervous, and I I went into this audition, and I saw that, like, oh my gosh. And I stumbled through this piece. I did not do well. And I I remember I got done in just the deafening silence when you feel like you didn't do a good job and no one says anything. And I left in that moment. I took my music and I walked out and I was devastated. I remember I cried. I just thought, oh my gosh, I blew it. Listen, that experience is what the spiritual life is like for some people and maybe for you today that your life is lived in the presence of God, but you can't see him. God's behind this curtain, and you never really know how he feels and if you're good enough. And you don't know for sure, but you imagine God to be scowling on the other side of that curtain as he writes the things that you are not doing could be doing better. Paul says the spirit that you and I receive through faith in Christ is not a spirit of fear, a spirit of slavery, but contrast again, rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, this this phrase adoption to sonship is so powerful. It's a, it's a legal term that described in the first century when somebody would adopt someone as a full heir. So a wealthy estate owner would say, I don't have anybody to give all my stuff to when I die. And they would adopt somebody, pretty sweet gig for that person. And they would say, hey, will you come and be in my family and I'm going to make you a full heir of my estate. And in this culture, your inheritance primarily went to your son's which is why he, he uses the phrase adoption to sonship. But this applies spiritually to both men and women. And we know that because Paul uses three times in these verses the, the pronoun children, both men and women, gender neutral. But, but in the first century, when this happened, when somebody was adopted in this way, three things immediately occurred. Number one, all of their Debts and legal obligations were paid. Secondly, the person who was adopted, they got a new name because they're in a new family. And then third, they immediately became an heir of everything that person owned. Everything, the whole estate. And this is exactly what has happened for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have had all of our debts paid, we've received a new name, and we've become full heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ. Now, I want you to notice in this verse that this is unconditional. It does not say, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and if you keep it up, you'll maintain your status in the family. If you act like you belong in the family of God, you get to stay in the family of God. Now, this is unconditional. In fact, it's already happened. This is past tense. You, through faith in Jesus, you've already received this spirit, and this is all done. Your relational position in the family of God is fixed, regardless of your behavior. I love just one quick example of this. I love in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the first things that Jesus says after his resurrection Mary Magdalene and Mary come to the tomb, and Jesus, he he greets them, he says, don't be afraid, because Jesus always says that, because he just rose from the dead. He says, don't be afraid. And then Jesus, he says to them, he says, hey, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. And he's he's referring to the disciples. And I love it because, again, just think about this. The, The very last interaction Jesus has had with these guys, they deserted him, all of them. Not just Judas, they all deserted Jesus. And Peter denied him three times. And yet Jesus, when he refers to these guys after his death and resurrection, he does not say, go and tell my deadbeat disciples to meet me in Galilee. Because I got some words for them. Go tell those losers. to. Jesus says, go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. I mean, understand their relational position in the family of God was fixed. And so is yours. How unbelievable is that? But it gets even better. Because Paul continues, and not only have we been adopted and the Spirit has sealed that, but this is what he says, and by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, This word, Abba, it's an Aramaic word. It's best translated as daddy. Now, there there are other words that Paul could have used for father. This word, the word that he chose in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is a word for intimacy. This is a word that the youngest of children would say to their dad. This is a toddler climbing up on the lap of his dad. Abba, daddy. Now, this idea is the key of this passage. This is profound. I know preachers can be hyperbolic and and say things like this, but this can change your life. It really can. If you and I understand this reality, that God, your heavenly Father, says, you through the Holy Spirit say, Abba, to me, that's the kind of relationship we have. And so, t- to help us get this into our bones, I just want to talk in the rest of our time about three things that are true of our relationship with God because of this. In other words, if this is true, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside you and you with the Holy Spirit cry out, Abba, Father, here are three things that can characterize your relationship with God. First thing we see in this text is that Abba, Father, it means access with God. It means access. You know, we were made to know God. That's why we were made. We were created for relationship. But because of sin and guilt, our relationship with God has been characterized by distance instead of intimacy. From the very first pages of Scripture, we see this. And this is why one of the defining characteristics of the temple where God would dwell with his people in the Old Testament, one of the defining characteristics was boundaries. You could only get so close to the presence of God. If you were a Gentile, you could only get so close. If you were a Jew and you were unclean, you could only get so close. But even if you were a Jew and you were upright and you did all the right things, you checked all the boxes, you could only get so close. And in the inner court of the temple, the Holy of Holies, only one dude got to go once a year To be with God. You see, the way men and women related to God throughout thousands of years was characterized by boundaries because of sin and guilt. But now, by the death of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, our relationship is characterized by access. This is staggering to consider. Again, Paul he says, all of us cry out, Abba Father, this is not the super spiritual ones among you. They're the ones who get this kind of relationship. All of us have access. Now, who who is the most powerful person in our world today? I don't don't know the answer for sure. I think many of us, we think the president of the United States. So let's just go with that. The president of the United States. Now, let me ask you, can you get time with the president? If you try really hard, you work all your connections. No. No. You don't have a shot. I mean, maybe Chris, Chris is pretty connected. Maybe he could get a little, you know, time with the president. We have no shot at getting time with the president. But who is the only person who can wake up the president of the United States at three in the morning and ask him for a glass of water? It's his children. Daddy, I'm thirsty. How much greater is God than the President of the United States. And yet, this is the kind of relationship we have. Access. God, Abba. Thirsty. And notice that in the text, it's, it's not just that we have access to talk to God, but to cry out. Look at the verse. It says, by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And that word... In in the Greek, that is a very strong word. That is a loud word. This is a word of deep emotion. This This is not a formal plea can be made to God. This is a spontaneous, heartfelt groaning to God. This is what Jesus did. In the Gospel of Mark in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, Abba, Father. You know, it's interesting. Studies... Have been done on the most recognizable sounds to the human ear. And you're not gonna find a lot of data on this because it's all anecdotal, but I, I heard one of these years ago that they, they looked at okay, what are the most recognizable sounds to the human ear, regardless of culture, regardless of language? You know what number one was? The cry of a baby. It's almost like our ears are hypersensitive to the cries. Of our children. How much more? Listen, we're made in the image of God. Wouldn't it make sense that the ears, so to speak, of God are hypersensitive to the cries of his children? Part of what Abba means is that God is attuned to you. This is so unbelievable. Not only does Abba Father mean access, though, it's, it's greater than that. Abba Father also means security. It means security. Now, why, why does God use the picture, the, the metaphor of adoption so much in the New Testament? And I think the reason is because more than any other relationship, we understand that being adopted into someone's family is inalterable It cannot change. If you're somebody's employee, you can be fired. If you're a servant, someone's house, you can be dismissed. There's something about adoption where your status, and more than your status, your identity is changed forever. And and that identity is someone who is loved and has a place that is fixed. And part of what the Holy Spirit is doing, Romans 8 is all about the Holy Spirit, Part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives is reminding us of that reality. Look at the next verse. It says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Testifies. Now, that word testifies is the Greek word martyria. It's the word which we get our word martyr from. But in the original language, it just meant somebody who's an authoritative witness, See, the Holy Spirit is a witness testifying. It's almost as if you picture a courtroom and somebody is on trial and the evidence is piling up against them and they got no shot. Their lawyer stinks. They have no good alibis and they're just, and they know they're going to prison. I mean, they, you know, they have no, no hope. And then at the last minute, somebody comes forward and it's an eyewitness and the eyewitness speaks definitively and clearly and says, no, I know for a fact that th- this defendant is innocent. And that, and that eyewitness proves beyond a shadow of a doubt their innocence. And the case is settled. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing. In, in a sense, Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes to the bench of your heart and my heart and says, yes, it's true. God really loves you. You really are a child of God. You belong in the family. And part of the reason why we need this, and God knows we need this, is because we doubt. We doubt that God loves us. We doubt that our place in the family of God is secure. And I think part of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today, to you today, He said, God loves you, and if you have trusted in Jesus, then you belong in the family of God, and nothing can take that away from you. God never adjusts his love to your conduct, ever. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You will sit at the table of the Lord with Abraham and Moses and Peter and Paul We have complete security. And and, and when we let this sink in, this reality, the Spirit says, you are a child of God. When we let that be absorbed into our soul, it produces incredible freedom and peace. Because nothing can touch that. No matter what, you're secure. I I remember years ago, and some of you heard me tell this story, but, but when I would mow the yard on my riding mower, one of my kids wanted to be with me, and for whatever reason, he just loved it. And so he would come out on the porch and he would lift up his arms <clears throat> and I would set him on my lap as I was mowing the yard. And inevitably, he would fall asleep on my lap, which was hilarious, because I mean, the, the, the mower is loud, and I'm doing lots of turns around trees and stuff. And I got to hold on to the wheel, I got the other hand on him, and I'm like stopping and starting in reverse, and he's just like flailing around on the mower like this. And he would stay asleep, and it blew me away. Now, why in the world could my child be asleep in the midst of all the noise, all the disruption? It's because he felt completely and totally safe in my arms. And understand that in God's arms, because of what the Spirit is testifying to in your life, you are completely and totally safe. Don't you want a love like that? That's what we have in God by His grace through the Spirit. Not only do we have access, not only do we have security, but Abba Father also means intimacy, means closeness, I remember right after we had our first baby, and, and I was at home, and you're still trying to figure everything out, but I remember, it's like six days after she was born, she was asleep on the couch, and I, and I was there with her, and I put her on my chest, and we both took a nap on the couch. And I wanna show you a picture of it. And some of you are thinking, Matt, you look like a baby. And others of you are like, you still look like a baby, right? Now, Katie took a picture, my wife took a picture of this. We're just hanging out on the couch. And I remember all this because I saw the picture. I thought, that is so cute. And when you have a new baby, you assume everybody wants to see pictures of you and your, your child. So I posted the picture on Facebook, and I remember the caption. I said, it doesn't get much better than this. The reason I remember that is because a friend of mine, a mentor in my life, he he replied and he said, "It may not get any better than this." And I remember being put off by that comment cuz I thought, come, "Come on, man, there's lots of good things coming in my life." You know? But But over the years, the more that I grow, I'm beginning to understand how right he was. Why? Because for a father, and listen, I am a deeply flawed parent, but, but for a father, being with your child in moments like this, like that, it doesn't get any better. It is a profound thing that when the Spirit of God comes into the life of a believer, listen, listen, it is a profound thing that the Spirit does not compel us to pray, Oh God Most High, but Daddy. What does that say about God? That when the Spirit of God comes into your life, it compels us to cry out, Abba, Father. One thing it means that at the, at the very center of God's being is a desire for relationship with you. And some of us need to hear that today, that we weren't saved just so we get to go to heaven one day. We, God brought us into his family and he wants to know us and he wants to be known by us. I love Hosea 6. It, God is speaking to Israel, and God says through the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But that phrase, the knowledge of God, it actually implies a personal knowing, which is why one translation translates that verse as God's saying, and God says this to us, I believe, God says, I want you to know me more than burnt offerings. It is so much easier, isn't it, to settle for knowledge about God than knowledge of God. And again, part of what we need to hear through this text today is God saying, I want you to know me, to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, what does that look like for us? One of the main ways this gets expressed is through prayer. Prayer. You know, prayer is not merely about changing our circumstances. You know, most of us, we're very efficiency-minded. We live in America. We tend to think that prayer works if our circumstances change. And if I pray about something and I don't see my circumstances change, then prayer didn't work. But, but in the Bible, prayer is primarily relational. It is engaging with God himself. And there is value in that regardless of the outcome. It's amazing to me in most of Paul's prayers in the New Testament, he doesn't pray for circumstances to be changed, that we might know God and the love of God. Abba, Father means that God desires intimacy with us. So what do we do with this today? You know, how do we apply this, this idea, Abba, Father, I want to just simply put this invitation before us. I think this is what the text is inviting us to do today, and it's this. It's embrace God as Abba. Embrace God as Abba. So, some of us today, we, we see God as distant and detached. We do. And there's others of us that see him as fickle and reactive. Like God may feel differently about you tomorrow than he does today, because today you're in church, so you know, maybe you're okay. But tomorrow... And today, God is saying, no, I view you like a dad views his newborn child. It's absolutely crazy. That is the kind of love God has for you. And that's fixed. It's secure. So God's inviting us. And, you know, there's others of us today that we believe this, that God is our dad, our Abba. And and yet, it's much more natural to focus on other aspects of who God is. You know, for you, it's a lot easier to say, I'm going to embrace God as provider, embrace God as savior, embrace God as protector. And all of that's true. But this text, what this is inviting us to do today is to embrace God as Abba. And it can change our lives. It can transform us. By God's grace. So what would that look like for you this week? And maybe it's simply you begin in the mornings, you pray normally, but now this week you just say, I'm gonna begin my prayer times with Abba, Father. Maybe you set a a daily alarm on your phone during your lunch break. You just try to remember, okay, let me pray to God and not just say, God, here's all the stuff I need, but you just say, God, in this moment, I recognize your Abba, that's who you are. What would that look like for you? God's grace will be changed. Listen, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And what if, what if part of what came into your mind when you thought about God was Abba? What difference would that make in your life? How would you not only relate to God differently, how would you see yourself differently? How would you treat others differently if you were convinced that God was Abba? May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for this unbelievable text and just reframing of how many of us tend to think about you. Or that something has happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, and through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, where our relationship to you is so radically altered that we cry out, Abba, Father, and you long for us to do so. So God, would you help us today to know how to apply this? You know what gets in the way, how we, how we have so many lenses through which we see you, our experience, what our culture says, how we feel, and Lord, I just pray for all of us today that you would help us to put this biblical truth, this filter in front of all of them, and say, no, this is what's true. So God, we ask for your help to believe this, to live in light of it, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.